Hi, everybody. This is John Iman welcoming you to Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts, the weekly show that brings you interviews and discussions with people in our pop culture world. You know, that means we get to talk more about movies, more music, more video games, and more. <laughs> Don't miss a week. You never know who's going to be our next guest. So, okay, addicts, are you ready for your pop culture fix? Our guest today is John Iman. John is a former child star that was in nearly every piece of important pop culture television during the 1950s and 60s. John has been kind enough to join us today, and he's going to share some stories and answer some questions about his work in acting. Welcome to the show, John. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. We are excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks. So, as we were talking about in the pre-show, Kathleen and I are, are hosts on another show, along with our, our good friend Nick. Uh, we host another show called the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. Now, in that show, um, we talk about all things sci-fi and, and superhero and fantasy related. But when I was doing research for today's conversation with you, I noticed uh, that you were, were on an episode of the one of the original Twilight Zone episodes uh, hosted by Rod Serling. So what I'm hoping in here is, John, is that you can tell us about the episode that you were in. And from what I also understand, that you have a pretty interesting how I got to meet Rod Serling story. Could you share those both? Oh, certainly. Uh, the episode I did was called The Fugitive, and that was with uh, Susan Gordon, little blonde-haired girl. And uh, Nancy Culp was in the uh, episode as well, Nancy Culp from the Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, Jay Pat O'Malley, one of the great character actors of that period. And uh, I played the pitcher during the first five minutes of the show. I'm, uh, we're on a sandlot playing baseball, and uh, I'm the pitcher. Uh, there's an old gentleman who's Jay Pat O'Malley who is uh, on the sidelines there, and uh, he, uh, he gets up and he hits the ball. I pitched to him, and he hits the ball. He hits it completely out of the park. This was filmed at uh, Griffith Park in, in Los Angeles. And uh, after that, we decide to play monsters. And uh, in this part, the little girl plays the princess. Uh, another uh, kid actor who is well-known, uh, Stephen Talbot, uh, who played Gilbert on Leave it to Beaver. He was okay. also in the episode. So we're going to play monsters, and we pretend to have uh, ray guns. And the old gentleman goes behind the bush, and he comes out as a monster. So it turns out that he can change into any shape he wants. Oh, and okay. uh, the reason it's called The Fugitive is because he comes from another planet where he's the king. And he wanted to get away from there. So he came to Earth, and he befriends this little girl who has trouble with her, like, mean stepmother or whatever, uh, mean aunt, I guess she really is. And uh, so she doesn't have a very good life. Also, she has a uh, uh, something on her. She has uh, one leg is lame, so <laughs> she has a cast on her leg. And uh, in any event, uh, we, we do that little bit at the beginning of the episode where he comes out as a monster and right after that is the Rod Serling part where he introduces the episode 
Oh, okay. And he's sitting on a bench right off that sandlot. And uh, he's going to tell you what's going to happen in the episode. But what happened, actually, uh, we filmed our scene and uh, we're getting ready to do another one when the little girl, Susan Gordon, uh, she started to feel faint and everybody was worried about her. So they called for, uh, well, they took her to a clinic to have her looked at. And so production shut down for about an hour. And during that time, Rod Serling, who is waiting on the sidelines to do his little introduction, he's just sitting there having a smoke. And uh, and although there are other kids there, too, I'm the only one who went over to him and started talking to him. And uh, not, nothing big, just hi, I love the show and that sort of thing. And, uh, and he's a very nice guy, kind of down to earth. Uh, and uh, very nice. We only talked for a minute, but uh, it was a big deal to me because I was already familiar with the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, one funny thing, though, is I was about 10. And uh, just after we started, uh, stopped talking, he stood up for a second and I realized he wasn't much taller than me. He was <laughs> a rather small guy. And I, hey, pretty cool. I guess I even if I don't grow up uh, physically, I can still be a, a big shot in other ways, maybe. Someday. There you go. <laughs> but the yeah. follow-up, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say I, I think they've always they've they've always placed him really well on camera because yeah. I never I never understood or, or realized rather that he was of smaller stature. So yeah, well the follow-up to that was I mean, just two years ago, I got contacted by uh Rittenhouse publications. They do uh trading cards like for the Game of Thrones and uh oh, okay. many other series, and they did the original set of cards for the Twilight Zone. And uh, they decided to come out with an updated, well, a bunch of newer cards that are signed. And uh, they reached out to me to sign 500 cards uh, with my picture on it, says the pitcher, mm -hmm. and, uh, and their official Twilight Zone cards. And uh, so I signed them and I got a little money for doing it. It was like, uh, you know, something out of... Uh, just out of nowhere, completely out of nowhere. I got a little money for it, and it was pretty cool after all these years. And uh, the cards are now available. They're either a part of a set, or I looked on eBay. I think I'm worth about eleven fifty now. Hey. Eleven dollars and fifty cents. Yeah, that's I'm, still I'm, cool. I know I'm not Martin Landau. That would have been the eleven hundred. But right, uh, <laughs> eleven fifty. I'll take it. But uh, hey, in Michigan, I, you're worth three gallons of gas, buddy. Yeah, so. That's it. So yeah, so I did that, and that's uh, that was just a real kick to do something like that. And that's pretty much the only science fictiony type show I did. Uh, others, though, like the first episode of Leave It to Beaver, I did. The very right. first one back in 56. And I was on the seri uh, series uh, called McKeever and the Colonel right. back in the early 60s, where mm -hmm. I was on that every week as Cadet Monk. And uh, another one, I just sent you a couple of emails with a few pictures. But yeah, one I, of just, them, I just saw those. Uh, oh, good. And one of them was uh, not the acting, but the modeling part when I was about <laughs> nine years old as uh, the milk mustache kid. And oh my goodness! Kind of a, yeah, yeah, that's kind of an iconic picture there. 
Yes, it is. That's awesome. So <laughs> as a quick Google search, you said that you were not, that Rod Serling was not much taller than you. Yeah. He was 5'4". Five 5'4", four. Five four, yeah, figures. <laughs> He's the same height as my mom. Uh, yeah. I did not realize he was he was short of stature. That was... Uh... <laughs> I never would have guessed that he was that short. Yeah. Oh, no. my goodness. I had a similar experience like that when I was doing the series McKeever and the Colonel, where uh, the kid who played McKeever, Scott Lane, he and I were going into the studio commissary at Four Star Studios. And just as we're about to walk in, right next to us comes Sammy Davis Jr. And here's another one who's not much taller than we were. He's, he was a little guy, but yeah. what a talent. And Absolutely. Again, yeah, and a very nice guy, too. <laughs> That's awesome. So on the same topic of Twilight Zone, because yeah. I love that show. Oh, I have yeah. always loved that show. Me too. Everybody that I've ever talked to has either their favorite episode or the episode that absolutely terrifies them. <laughs> and personally, my favorite episode is Night Call, the, the woman that gets the anonymous phone call and then finds out the telephone line had been over the grave of her dead fiance. Ooh, I don't remember that one. Oh Gosh. my word. It is seriously creepy. It is my favorite episode. So being a Twilight Zone fan as well, yeah. do you have a favorite episode? Oh gosh, it's, it's uh, tough to say. I guess everybody points out the one about uh, to serve man, to serve man. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because uh, the, very climactic ending to the episode. Uh, that one always sticks out in my memory. And uh, of course, the others like the William Shatner one where, you know, terror mm -hmm. at 30,000 feet or mm -hmm. whatever it was called. Yeah. And uh, that one kind of rings out to me because, uh, you know, following my career in TV and working in bands and teaching in Japan for 10 years. After that, I became a flight attendant with uh, Northwest <laughs> Airlines. And uh, we eventually merged with Delta. I just retired a year ago. Oh, wow. But uh, I was there for 25 years. So, Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> that, that particular episode kind of sticks out to all of us. You know, <laughs> what, what yeah. are we going to do now if, if somebody's out on the wing or a passenger says, uh, there's something going on out there? <laughs> How should we react? On the wing. <laughs> something on okay. The wing, well, and I, you know, I've seen all the episodes, and I've got a couple of those books about mm -hmm. all each of the episodes, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm, I get mentioned only because my name was in the credits. You know, that's as far as I got with that. But uh, hey, the other but funny thing, the other funny thing about this, and this happened to me a few times, is misspelling of my last name. It's Iman, E I M E N, and uh, in the credits on Twilight Zone. And on a few other shows, they spelled it E-I-M-A-N. Mm. Oh, yeah. So uh, that became an issue with these cards they were having me sign for Twilight Zone. Uh, in that the first card they sent me to sign, it was E-I-M-A-N. And then I wrote back and said, oh, you know, it's actually E-I-M-E-N. Mm. And they said, well, you know, we can redo them. I said, you know what? There are so many cases with actors of all kinds who... Uh, they'll have different names they might use, John Iman, Johnny Iman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this misspelling isn't that big a deal to me. And I said, since that's how it appeared in the credits, it's probably better to keep it as E-I-M-A-N, 
even if that's not correct, because collectors might go back and watch that episode and say, hey, now, what's going on here? Right. So I'm for that uh, case, I'm E-I-M-A-N. <laughs> All right. It's cool with me. I'm fine with that. Hey, and, you know, there's not very many of us, by the way, John, who get to say we have a trading card, you know. Yeah, I know. With, I'm a know. collectible. That's right. That's awesome. <laughs> One day I will have a Funko Pop made of me, whether I have to pay for it or not. <laughs> I think and, I just need a T-shirt that says I'm a collectible now. Yeah, there, there you go. go. And I'm also a collectible for that uh, milk mustache thing. That's oh, also yeah. on eBay for 10 bucks, I think. And uh, <laughs> And the episode of Life Magazine, I think, is a little bit more because it was a, a full page in Life Magazine in, in okay. 1959. And it was one of the only color pages in the whole issue. <laughs> that's that's impressive. Uh, they spent ink on you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Colored ink. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, John, let, let's talk about something uh, other than your acting for one, because up mm -hmm. until today, I had no idea that you were a musician. Yeah, I played yeah. in bands for a long, long time, uh, from about the age of 15. So when I got into high school, I wasn't working that much in acting. Okay. Occasionally, I'd get a part here and there. But I really wanted to play in bands after the advent of the Beatles. You know, sure. I decided to get into garage band. Um, and, uh, and it was interesting that uh, one guy who, again, reached out to me. I could hardly play a chord at that point was a kid named Tony Peluso. Okay. And uh, you, you probably don't recognize the name, but anyway, he became the lead guitarist for the Carpenters later on. Oh, okay. But he invited me to be in his little garage band, and we played parties all over the San Fernando Valley and at uh, Blessed Sacrament uh, Church for the uh, Cairo Club dances for high school kids. And, nice. Uh, and we played these. And then later on, I was in a band with Whitey from Leave it to Beaver and uh, Stanley Fafara. And uh, we got a commercial for Kellogg's Sugar Frosted Flakes where we're playing. And the funny thing is his mom kind of helped us get that gig. And then he didn't get to be in the darn commercial oh, no. because he was the drummer and they decided to have Tony the Tiger as the drummer. So. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and uh, later guy. on, I was, yeah, later I was in like a supper club type bands, a trio mm -hmm. with a very good singer. Then in Japan, I played weekly for almost the whole 10 years I was there. I played uh, in... Uh, little little clubs uh once a week uh playing solo singing and guitar mostly stuff like uh james taylor and uh john denver that kind of thing okay and people liked it because they were listening to english and this was japan and the good thing for me was if i screwed up the lyrics <laughs> nobody caught it nobody there you go it. yeah right <laughs> So yeah, yeah I, I noticed uh, I your uh, you have a YouTube page for, for yeah. the, your personal music that you had made, and so if you saw a spike in some of your numbers today, uh, that was because I was going around and listening to uh, different songs uh, that you had done over the years. So other than the Beatles, what was what else piqued your interest in, in in starting with music, and what was your inspiration behind doing you know what you do now? Ah. So uh, it's interesting, too, that, well, of course, early on, it was the Beatles. It was mainly the Beatles. Uh, being in L.A. at the time, too, 
I was able to go to the Hollywood Bowl and see them. Oh, nice. Go to the concert for the Rolling Stones. We had another club in Hollywood. Uh, uh, I can't think of the name offhand, but anyway, the Doors played there when they were first starting out. Mm -hmm. uh, people like Donovan played in a little oh, nice, tiny nice. cafe. You know, all these different people were there, and you could go and see them, and you could actually be really close to them. The a place like uh, Doug Weston's The Troubadour, what it had a seating capacity of like 400 people tops, mm -hmm. and uh, you could be right up, right up next to these great people, Joni Mitchell and and some other greats, you know, and it was just such an exciting time in the 60s. Uh, to be able yeah. to do that. Oh. Now, more recently, though, uh, in uh, 2003, we finally bought our first house. And this was, uh, we were both in our mid-50s, my wife and I. And finally, we were getting our own house. And in this new house, I could dedicate one room to just doing music. I got a uh, 16 track digital recording workstation Ooh. and Ooh, nice. yeah and i got a, a rinky dink little keyboard but it could duplicate certain sounds so almost everything you heard me doing was basically off of that casio you know sure, <laughs> and sure. the guitar and uh, stuff like that and this again gave me the incentive finally having that space to myself where i could try to create some songs up until that time up until my mid 50s i think i'd written two or three songs and then after i got that room i wrote over a hundred more so uh i'll say there's there's <laughs> quite a few uh on on the youtube channel to listen to yeah you know quantity over well no let's not go there <laughs> <laughs> but uh and there were only a couple there are only a couple that were like studio done one is the uh, semi-autobiographical that was called i'll take today any day uh that was mm -hmm. actually recorded in nashville and originally sung by a different person he sent me a copy where i could take his voice out and put mine in and uh, i did that uh, probably mm -hmm. if you'd heard that one but it was about you know looking back on those days great times but still i'd take today any day I, I think the one that I enjoyed the most, I think it's called uh, Guilty as Hell. Oh, yeah. That one, that one kind of made me chuckle. Yeah, well, I, I, I was trying to think, now, what can I do that's not too sweet and, uh, you know, too warm and fuzzy? So I, I, well, I thought I'd try something like that. And whenever I had an issue like that, I always went to my sister and said, how about this for an idea for a song? And she said, it's already been done. It's on the stations right now, but I don't listen to country western, or I didn't at that time at all. And she's no, that song's already been taken. Let's try a different name <laughs> or something. And I came up with "Guilty as Hell." Case closed. That's and, the other uh, half of it yeah. right there. Case closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good chuckle. I I enjoyed that one. Uh -huh. yeah. Well, looking through all of the music stuff that you've done, and you've mentioned some pretty big names. <sighs> I also, from what I understand, you got to work with. Frank Sinatra, or at least near Frank Sinatra? Oh, I sure did, you know, and that's funny, too, because, uh, again, when I was a little kid, uh, he was going to do a special, uh, Frank Sinatra. He had a weekly show, actually. Mm -hmm. One week it mm -hmm. might be a drama, and the next week it might be a live performance. And he did a one, I think it was around Thanksgiving time, uh, 
And it was at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood, an old historic, really cool theater. And it was a live performance. And uh, his guest was Dean Martin. Oh, my goodness. That would have been amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just a little kid, but I, of course, knew them. They were so big. Of course, I would know them, even at six or seven years old. And uh, I got to watch them rehearse, which was cool, because I discovered that the lines that were supposedly extemporaneous were well rehearsed (laughs) (laughs) Uh between the songs. And uh, but it was it was cool. And my little thing was he did, again, a pretty famous song called That's America to Me. And uh, I think it's called actual title might be The House I Live In. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's singing this and I'm on the stage with my back to the audience, kind of looking up at the statue. And he's he's over just on the side singing this song and uh you know the howdy and the handshake and this mm-hmm. and that. but uh anyway so i'm up there on the stage and my big challenge is to not dart off the stage in the middle of the song you know i'm six years old right so, <laughs> not pee in my pants not do anything <laughs> inappropriate and uh and that was my deal but the nice thing for me was just being able to well, see him and Dean Martin and to do a live show yeah. like that. And I had another one similar to that, which was a Danny Kay special. Oh, my gosh. With Louis Armstrong. So I got oh, wow. to meet both of them. I love and, Danny uh, Kay so much. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. And Louis Armstrong, too. And they did When the Saints Go Marching In. Yeah. Uh, that oh, one's, my gosh. Yeah, that one's still on YouTube now. But uh, my part in the show is not because it's a commercial segment where he finishes singing that song and he walks over to the side and he does this like two minute commercial for GM. (laughs) And uh, I'm one of the kids that he's explaining about the different models of GM cars. And so I've got three or four lines and a couple other kids about the same, but I got to meet him and Louis Armstrong and watch the rehearsals Again, oh as a goodness. little kid. And that was filmed at the CBS Center, you know, right yeah. off of Fairfax. And, uh, yeah, the neat thing, well, the special thing about that, too, for me was it's very nerve-wracking to do live. You know, it's scary compared mm-hmm. to most of the things I did were filmed where you mess up, you do it again, and, you know, all right. is forgiven. <laughs> but this is live, so I was afraid. And they told me in advance, I said, now, number one, don't bug him just before he starts this special because he's concentrating on focusing on getting everything right. Mm-hmm. So I, of course that wasn't a problem, but then number two thing they said to me is he might not give you the correct line. He might not give you the cue you're expecting. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'm going, and, and what about the suspension on the, you know, on the Lincoln, you know, right. whatever. And, uh, and so I said one of my lines, and then he came back with something way out of left field. <laughs> and I'm a kid, but I, I came up with something. I worked in what I was supposed to say mm-hmm. despite that. <laughs> that would be kind of hard to be like, no, I'm, I've am i been told these are the lines, and then just throw you off like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> Get ready and looking for one particular thing, and he he zigs when you're expecting a zag. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Which I mean, it's Danny K. So at the same time, you learn to expect the the <laughs> spontaneity, but goodness. I know, but as a little kid, you know, I I wasn't. Uh as adept maybe as as some of the other people he would work with as adults and right. expect that from but but i was fine you know i i, I got through it somehow <laughs> that's awesome excellent yeah so the shows that you were in mm-hmm. were pretty popular at the time but it wasn't until recently that they were available to most people until yeah. unless they had the dvd copies of them yeah i know now with streaming services these shows can make a comeback um, yeah. So do you think that our ability to watch these classic shows with the convenience of the streaming, what do you think about that? And has that had an impact on your life now? Well, the fun thing for me is if I go to those stations early in the day and look up what shows are going to be on later in the day, sometimes I'll see, hey, that's a wagon train I did back in 1962. <laughs> and I'll tell my Facebook friends or whatever I say. I'm going to be on TV tonight, you know, <laughs> what, 60 years, 50 years later, 60 years later. And uh, that's happened with the Twilight Zone. Of course, that's on all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wagon Train, The Rebel, Have Gun Will Travel, uh, a lot of these shows. And of course, Leave it to Beaver. Uh, that's another one that's on all the time. So if I happen to catch one, it is going to be on. I'll pop that onto my Facebook page and say, here I come again. Couldn't mm-hmm. get rid of me that easy. <laughs> yeah. do, do you find them often on, on the streaming services as well, like Netflix or Hulu or things like that? Do you find your shows out there? Or is it just on like specialty channels like I think of amazing like uh, Nickelodeon's TV Land or Nick at Night, things like that? Yeah, and We TV and all those oh, others. Yeah, yeah there are quite a few nostalgia channels. And in addition to that, YouTube has quite a few of them as well. Oh, sure. Yeah, and uh, I even found the, uh, I forget what show, I think it was Twilight Zone, where I found a, uh, a version of that episode in Spanish. And oh. one of my one of my best old friends, uh, Mexican-American guy from way back when we were kids, I said, I bet you didn't realize I learned Spanish that well. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, stuff like that. It's fun. And to this day, to have neat little things like that pop up is really nice. I bet. <laughs> so one more question for you, John. Yeah. Uh, and it, kind of in a, a different lane here real quick to, to end on. But uh-huh. now a, a lot of articles are written about in TV interviews with uh, former child stars where after they got done acting, life did not go that well for them. And so I'm not asking you to comment on any of those stories or what those other child actors went through. But what was life like for you after you were done acting? And do you feel that you benefited or your life was hindered because of your early acting? Oh, gosh. You know, the last show I ever did was a show called Love American Style. And uh, that's like 1970 or so. Okay. And... uh this one, I was supposed to have a couple of lines, not a big part. And uh, I took it just for the paycheck because I was about mm, 18, 19 at the time. Sure. And I could use that little bit of money. Mm-hmm. So I took it. I got to the uh, studio and they cut out my lines. So basically, I was like an extra. And after, you know, 15, 16 years in the business, 
I was feeling it. Oh boy, this isn't going anywhere. And I didn't think I had the wherewithal to keep going on and on and on mm -hmm. with not such great prospects, perhaps. Okay. And also, yeah, also at this time, I was in uh, school at L.A. Valley College in the theater arts department. So kind of trying to figure out where I might fit in as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I was 19. That's where I met up with Ed Begley Jr. And we became oh, nice. good friends. Yeah. So we're friends to this day. We still talk a lot. But uh, we were both starting out in theater arts there. Uh, just both of us had just turned 18 at almost the same time. He's two weeks older than me. But I'm seeing him, and I'm seeing Michael Richards also in one of my oh yeah things, uh, Kramer from Seinfeld, yeah. and oh, I mean person after person, you could really see their potential uh, going into the future in the kind of work they could do as professional actors and writers too. Uh, one guy wrote that movie Falling Down, uh, Michael Douglas did, uh, and another person wrote the. Uh, the movie about the lost boys. And they, I was in school with all these people in theater arts. And I thought, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be in the same class as these people, even though I was there in the same class with them at right. school. I, I could just see their motivation was different too. They would kill to work. And I'd been through 15 years of it. It wasn't, it wasn't my life. But okay. I'm thinking, what can I do? And I was doing music. I got into the music stuff so I could do that. Even in theater arts, I was mainly doing music for different productions, uh, back, background guitar for certain scenes in uh, productions at Valley College and all this stuff. And uh, following that, of course, I was in the garage band with Ed Begley Jr. And uh, we played a party at Don Drysdale's dugout, a bar in uh, in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, no and, kidding. Uh, yeah. And this is 1960, I think it was 68 going into 69. But it was the New Year's Eve party. And as soon as we started playing, in walks Sonny and Cher. So we got to back up Sonny and Cher on a song. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe music is the way to go from now on. Maybe I'll have more potential to... Uh, to continue as an adult. So I did do that for a number of years until I met the, the girl who was going to be my wife, who was from Japan, studying English in LA, ended up going to Japan to meet her family. And I was going to be there for one month. I ended up being there 10 years. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, my life was just going in different directions. Uh, you know, following that Love American style episode. So I, and I was pleased. I was fine with it. It's like a lot of things I did in my life. I was so happy I had those experiences, but it's not like I wanted to continue doing them forever. You know, I, even, right. the, even the flight attendant thing, I loved it. Traveling to different countries all the time and, uh, you know, having so many great experiences there. At 71, I was ready to, to hang up my wings. <laughs> and uh, right when COVID hit, I said, oh, you know what? I, don't, I think I'm done here. So, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> so so yeah, that's, that's my story. <laughs> it's a good that's, story. It's, it's a, good a good story. 
Thanks. You know, it, a lot of times when we talk with people who who have had, uh, you know, these careers and different forms of pop culture, it doesn't always end well. And there's, always, you know, sometimes you hear really nice stories and sometimes you hear stories that kind of make you grit your teeth a little bit. Uh -huh. But but yours is a nice story. It's got a nice ending to it. And it's got a happy ending. Yeah. And it's I so nice. Say, oh, God, I always say to uh, and I haven't robbed a liquor store in ages. Hey, <laughs> well, see that right there. Winning. You already, you already won, John. <laughs> we have enjoyed having you so much on the show. Thank you. Do you have places where um, our listeners can find out more about your work and anything you've got coming out? Uh, yeah, you know, as far as Facebook goes, uh, I have two accounts, but the one that I use today is uh, John Allen Iman, A-L-A-N, John Allen Iman. And uh, I put up stuff all the time, a lot of... Uh, old pictures, uh, pages from scripts, uh, mm -hmm. advertisements, different things I was involved in, as well as things from my other parts of my life, the the music, uh, the travel, the uh, photography in Japan or wherever I might have been. Mm -hmm. uh, so I put a lot of stuff th up there on Facebook under John Allen Iman. Uh, also YouTube, of course, uh, under John Iman. Uh, sure. I have a lot of my songs, and again, I uh, for a long time I was making those clips or little slideshow, basic slideshow mm -hmm. uh, thing presentations of some of my songs. And in addition to that, I would also put up little, uh, again, slideshows from different shows I was on with selected pictures, mainly featuring myself, yours truly, <laughs> sure, uh, sure. from those from those episodes. And uh, so there's a lot of stuff like The Untouchables and uh, and some other series I did uh, oh, episodes. Of. And so all of that stuff's up on YouTube. And then, of course, uh, the regular Google search turns up three or four pages of stuff from uh, from the IMDb to whatever else. Uh, there okay. was awesome so there's we a wealth are, of information <laughs> yeah we are definitely gonna um put those in our description so that our viewers and our listeners can find you and wow. enjoy the the pictures thank you and your music <laughs> <laughs> now the great thing is we're only scratching the surface with all the possible stories that are out there for, for john iman and we want to remind you that if you go out and you look at these things you're going to be especially go check out his youtube page i found it really entertaining i subscribed today i suggest that you guys subscribe to him as well and speaking of subscriptions we want to make sure that you understand that subscribing to Pop Culture Addicts is the single most important thing you can do with your day. To ensure that we get more amazing guests like John Iman here, and we have great conversation conversations <laughs> for you to listen to, please subscribe. It's going to help more than you'll ever know. Oh, boy. And remember, kids, pop culture, it's all around you. It's influencing you every step of the way. Be sure to come back next week. We'll have your fix here waiting for you. Thanks again. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to Pop Culture Addicts. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of Pop Culture Addicts, you can reach us on either Instagram or Twitter by using the handle at PCA Pod Show. You can also email us at PCA Pod Show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. 
copyright 2021 pop culture addicts reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of by pop culture addicts or any of its sponsors the views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent if you have any questions about this disclaimer please contact us via email at pcapodshow at gmail.com